hey, you know what? I, I know we're all coming from different settings here today and different denominations, and we have different roles in our church. We got volunteers, we got paid staffs, we got gigantic churches, we got, we got small churches, but I think the thing that puts everybody at this conference on the same page can be summed up in one word, and that word is this. This word is hope. It's hope. And when it comes to marriage, that we, we have hope. We have hope that despite the stats, I said, are we going to be able to do the slides? Okay. Hope, despite the fact that we live in a world that's got all these negative stats, we have hope for marriage, right? You're here because we have hope. Despite the fact we live in a culture that has magazine covers like this, we have hope that we have marriage. Okay. Who needs marriage? Despite the fact that we live in a time where we can all fill in these blanks, I can't believe Blank and blank got a divorce. Can't we all fill that in? Despite that, you have, I have hope. And we believe that God is going to deliver that hope to marriage through the local church. Amen? Absolutely. That's what we believe. And here's the other thing I think we can all agree on. is when it comes to marriage ministry in the local church, we're just not there yet. God has not done what God can do through the local church yet. Can we all agree we're still learning? I think everybody in this room, everybody on this stage will tell you, we're still trying to figure this thing out. We've got to do this, but I've been working with married couples through the lens of the local church for almost 15 years, and I will tell you this. I want to suggest one change that we need to make. It's a pretty big paradigm shift for some churches, most churches. Not all of you. Most, some of you will be on board when I say this. But I think we need to change a paradigm shift because for a lot of churches, if you were to divide out their time and resources when it comes to what they're pouring towards marriage, because every church is pouring some amount of time and resources into it, it would look a little bit like this. That 90% of their time is reactive. They have a strategy by default. It's reactive to couples in crisis because all our hearts break for couples in crisis. And I watch senior pastors stop everything they do to save a family, and, and, and that's great. But what doesn't make sense to me is we only spend 5% on weddings and then 5% on the everybody else. And what I mean by everybody else is those couples that are sitting there and they're living like roommates. They're not in crisis yet, but they're just surviving, and that's not God's plan for marriage. Or it's those couples that are sitting there and they're living in this kid-centric world. How do we start speaking into the everybody else's? How do we reach into them? How do we get them, and to use Scott's word, how do we get to them long before they get to crisis? I think we can agree for a lot of churches, there's a broken model. And this broken model says this, our church will address marriages as marriages address our church. The problem is, is we can't wait till they reach out for us because for some of them, it's simply too late because they've given up. Now, God has not given up on them, but they've given up on God, and they've given up on each other when it comes to their marriage. And a lot of them, I don't know about you, when I did this a long time, a lot of times couples aren't coming to the church for reconciliation when they reach out. They're coming for justification. They want to be able to say, especially if they have kids, we tried everything. We even talked to some people at church, and we couldn't make it work. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be about that. I want to help couples in crisis, and we're going to talk some more about that. But here's what I believe, and here's the bottom line for me when it comes to enrichment. is The church has to reach out to couples long before couples reach out to the church. We have to reach out while they'll still take our hands. We have to reach out while they're still teachable. 
We have to reach out while they still have hope, if just a little bit of hope. We have to reach out to them when we can still make a difference, when they're still ready. So how do we, how do, we do that? How do we do that? Well, I, I want to suggest something I've watched over the years when it comes to marriage enrichment. I want to suggest this. I want to suggest we give couples less content more often. Less content more often because when it comes to enrichment, you know, we'll do things like, hey, we'll, we'll have a marriage retreat or we'll do a sermon series and we give them about 12 years worth of content in two days. And they're walking out going, what was all that about? Right? They don't care nearly as much as we do at that point. And so I thought the average couple is speaking, uh, had uh, meaningful conversation four minutes a day. Some days I'm wondering what four minutes of that was meaningful, right? They have four minutes a day. What if we gave them little pieces of content along the way that would enrich those moments? What if we started speaking into their life? What if we started rolling with the rhythm of couples' lives instead of asking them to roll with the rhythm of the church's calendar? So how do we do that? How do we get this less content more often? Well, we create a strategy and we partner with churches that has three categories. Because we believe that we can take a cue from student ministry and children's ministry and say, hey, we can hit them at different levels. And as we look at a calendar over the course of a year, and that's what I'd love for every church to do is just back out and say, what are we going to do this year for the everybody else's? What are we going to do this year to keep couples from getting into crisis in the first place? What does that look like? One environment that we really love are large groups, larger groups. The reason we don't say large groups is sometimes people say, well, we don't have a large group of couples. And I'll say, well, then larger, larger. So these incredible, uh, spend incredible time with leveraging Sunday morning. People say, we can't talk about marriage on Sunday morning. Right? We'll, we'll alienate people that aren't married. I say, oh, look, here's all you got to do. It's this easy, but this essential. You simply say, today we're talking about marriage because you either are married, you want to be married, or someone you love dearly is married, and then you're off to the races. Ted Cunningham, who speaks all over the country as a senior pastor, you're going to hear from him later, next couple of days, he says, he speaks on marriage once a month, on Sunday morning, as the senior pastor, and says, whether you're married or not, I want you all to be advocates of marriage. We can talk about marriage on Sunday morning. Another thing, I love, her, I love these, are the larger group environments, are one-night events. I love retreats, but I love one-night events, because it's less time prohibitive and less time cost prohibitive than a retreat. And we went to that model at our church. We went from a retreat model to we're going to focus on one-night events four times a year. And our attendance quadrupled, and it turned into the best outreach we ever did. It was incredible because you don't have to love Jesus to want your marriage to work. And it became this great bridge into our church. And you don't have to have a lot of money to do it either. There's a church that we work with in First Baptist Church, Gray, Georgia. And I'm always beating the drum that, you know, you got to be guy-friendly. You know, the women don't need convincing the they don't need convincing. It's the guys that need convincing, right? So they called me and they said, hey, you know what we did for our event? We got a company to uh, donate a barbecue grill. And we put it in the front foyer of our church. And we said, somebody at our big night out event, married people big night out event, is going to win that barbecue grill. <laughs> I showed up to the event, and this is what their tables look like. The coordinator of it, her husband was a football coach, and she put a football helmet on every table. You think that was guy-friendly? Because guys think they're walking into a Valentine's Day banquet. And what we have to do with marriage ministry, especially enrichment, we just say, you didn't get invited to something, guys. You're included in something. Because a lot of times they walk in and go, this is for chicks. 
The second part of this is small groups. It's, it's small groups. How many of you have Sunday school or small group model at your church? Yeah. Now, no one divorces in isolation. I don't believe anyone has a healthy marriage in isolation either. We have to surround couples with other couples who are for their marriage. Whatever we are passionate about couples knowing, we have to spoon feed it, we have to give it to, infiltrate it through small groups. We have to find couples who are for other couples' marriage. And we have to, you know, deprogram their brain to say, hey, by the way, we don't believe in divorce. <laughs> by the way, you want them to stay together, and we get this privilege to do this. The last part of our strategy is for individual couples. If we can help couples have great habits, marriage habits, when we're not around, and that's a win, that's an absolute win uh, for us. I talked about the four-minute thing earlier. We, one of the things we create is we encourage uh, couples to use post-it notes to love their spouse. And they fill in little things like the thing about you that makes me say, wow, is this. We wrote that question, and I lived off my wife's answer for six months. Right? It doesn't take a whole lot. It rolls with the rhythm of, of their life. The other thing we've loved to do is dating. It's help couples to date. Well, we did this thing at our church, gosh, I guess it's been about eight years ago. We started this thing called the Great Date Experiment because we didn't know if it was going to work, so we threw the name experiment on it. It's a very good leadership principle. Like you start children's ministry, and you say, we call it the children's ministry experiment. Somebody shows up, their kid's not there, you go. Right? So we called it the Great Date Experiment. We just had couples drive through. We handed them an envelope through the window, and it had five or six steps of what to do. We didn't have any budget for it, so we had to make it cheap. And the first step said, when you get to the first stoplight, make out until the person behind you honks the horn. <laughs> we're standing out there. We're passing people rolling down the window. I don't think people roll down windows anymore. You know, we hand them the date through the window, and they drive. We live in Atlanta, and you've got about half a millisecond, you know, at the stoplight. If you don't go, the person behind you. About five minutes after the first envelope gets through, and I hear over the woods and through the trees. And I'm like, that is the sound of Jesus. <laughs> Love it. We get to be about that. We get to be about that. People say, oh, you're spoon-feeding couples. Oh, you're spoon this is not very spiritual. And I went, put that on my tombstone. He spoon-fed couples all day long. All these dates are designed is to help them laugh and affirm each other. And they're so thirsty for it. When couples can get a drop of enrichment sometimes, when a mom that hasn't been appreciated in maybe years gets told by her husband, I'm amazed at you and all that you juggle. When, when a wife looks at her husband and said, I know that your drop drives you crazy and you go every single day because you care about me and you care about our family. That's rich and it'll create the greatest stories. When we're proactive, when we back up the calendar, and this is the next slide, we give touch points. If you think of it in terms of maybe 25 touch points, what are those little touch points throughout the year? And when you look at your calendar, when we do that and we, we map that out, when we have then, it creates the greatest stories that we will not hear until heaven. Because no one's calling the church with good news, right? No one's calling with good news, and they don't know what we've prevented. We don't know what we've prevented. The greatest stories we won't hear until this side of heaven of marriages full of life and laughter because your church taught people how to love and to laugh. 
We're not going to hear the story of a teenager who didn't rebel because mom and dad had a, a marriage that you had poured into and didn't need to. He felt safe. We're never going to hear the story of a blended family that didn't blend again. We're not going to hear the story of a couple because of a marriage thing at your church, came to your church and found and started to follow Jesus. We're not going to hear those stories until heaven, but I don't know about you. I can wait. But there are some great stories in just a minute that we will hear this side of heaven. We've already heard a couple of them, and and Susan Cox is going to come and share those with you uh, in just a minute. Thank you very much.